Hello, hello. Welcome back to Working Artist, the podcast. This is Annie, your host. I am sitting in a theater right now in the middle of a contract that I am working on. It has been a really great experience. We're honing in. We're about two weeks out from opening night, so it is crunch time. But I wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction to the lovely guest that I'm chatting with this week. I'm talking with Suma Lee. We've worked on a project together, but then became very fast friends since we both work in the same industry. Suma Lee has done costume design, stitching, um, costuming, that kind of that overarching umbrella that covers everything that uh, costumers have to do in this industry and is self-taught, which is amazing. So we're chatting all things theater industry, costuming, um, and money, of course. So let's delve right into this convo. Hope you love it. Let's start off with, can you tell the lovely people what you do with your, with your life right this moment? What would you, what would you call yourself? Cause I know you've gone through some pivots in the last six months. So what are you calling your career path right this moment? What I like to call it, you know, it depends on the market, but what I'll say is currently in Orlando, which is where I, I live, as you know, um, I call myself a professional draper stitcher. Nice. Specializing in costume construction. <laughs> so I can stitch anything and will and have, but I prefer to construct costumes. That is where my specialty and expertise lies. Lovely. Garment construction. <laughs> Love that. Can you talk a little bit how you got to that point? Because it's I know from knowing you that it's um especially recently been a little bit of a roller coaster getting to kind of settling in that point. But can you talk about like what did you go to school for and like how from there did we get to here? Sure. Um, so I didn't go to school at all. Um <laughs> we love that I though. decided when I yeah, we love that. Um, so I guess you could say I am self-taught. I do have some training, but it has been all on the job training. So essentially when I was about 11, um, I became fully engrossed in the world of film costume. And that was kind of my nerdy habit. You know, some kids have like anime. I had like knowing every dress from Titanic and Gone with the Wind and sorry, controversial, but um, has great costume design. <laughs> um, yeah. Knowing all of these famous, Lord of the Rings was really big. Um, I graduated high school in 2010, if that gives you an idea of timeline. So when I was about 11, I was, I was really engrossed with movie costumes. And I thought like, I want to be one of these people that I meet on live journal um, who make costumes from home. That's what I thought that was the dreamiest job. I thought that was so cool that you could be um, so obsessed with the attention to detail that you could replicate costumes from the screen. And then, you know, suggested to me by various people in my life, like, oh, well, are you sure you want to replicate movie costumes? Wouldn't you rather design costumes for film? And so, um, you know, that's kind of one of the only career paths um suggested for people that are interested in costume, right, is to be a costume designer. But as you know, and as I know, like there's lots of different roles in the costume department. And that was not clear to me when I was a child. So speaking of just, just development and training and like where I come from, I come from a very muddled place, creative family, knew I loved costume, wasn't really sure what to do with it. But when I graduated high school, I settled on, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to uh, maybe do kind of like a history theater, production, design sort of major. 
Um, but I had some personal problems my first year of college. And um, I was in a state far away from my family. I was, I was actually in New Jersey. So I was 45 minutes out of the city, which was a really cool experience, but um, it didn't work out. And I won't go into that now, but it was that a confusing happen, That happens to a lot of people though. Can I just mention that? Like, I feel it like does. I know quite a few people that that has happened to and nobody talks about it. I'm not telling you to talk about Absolutely. it, but I'm just saying that that it's an experience that is not one-off at all. Right. And, you know, I, I especially want to bring it up now because that was 10 years ago. So for me, this is circa 2010, 2011. And you have to understand, I was a very focused, nerdy overachieving perfectionist child so literally a child because you know, college uh, kids are children <laughs> Can I, like I children know that, yes I know they're legally I know they're legally adults but like now looking back now that I'm almost 30 it's kind of like oh my god I didn't know what the fuck I was doing <laughs> just like threw me yes. out there and okay yes so since we're talking about this yeah. yes so I'm a child I I didn't want to live in Sanford anymore. You know, if you're from Orlando, then you, you know, Sanford, like I didn't want to be small town, Florida anymore. You know, I wanted to be somewhere close to New York and I thought it will just unfold from there. Right. My education and my career path will just unfold from there. But the thing is I was a child and I was emotionally unprepared to be that far away from home and, uh, taking on all those responsibilities myself. So, um, what happened is, sorry, we don't have to get into this, but we will yeah. just to give an example, because I think it's important for post-pandemic children who might be going through the same children, yeah. college yeah. children, children who might be going through the same college thing. children. <laughs> That's right. Um, is I was dating somebody and he committed suicide. So that was just sort of a moment and it's okay. Again, it was 10 years ago, but it's like, oh no, like, what do I do now? The social fallout from that, you know, there are all these factors when you're in college it's not just about your degree. It's about your emotional education right. as well and your development as a creative. So what I can tell you about that is my trajectory from choosing to leave school because I did choose to leave school. I wasn't, I wasn't expelled. I didn't yeah, feel, I didn't just, like you know, I dropped out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I could have kept going. Um, but I was devastated by the, these events and I didn't know how to deal with it just on a life level, not even on a creative level, right. <laughs> but for my, my creativity, uh, standpoint, what I, what I took away from it for the next 10 years. So all throughout my twenties is, oh no, I disrupted my educational path. I will never be able to be a professional. I will never get back on my path is how I felt. Mm -hmm. I felt like you had to pick up that thread and continue following it down the traditional path or there was no hope. I'll, I'll right. never make connections. I don't have any mentors. I, I don't know what to do with myself. And so for 10 years, I like basically didn't really make costumes, but in my mind, you know, in my heart, I'm still going through life with like this obsessive costume. eye. you know, mm -hmm. I'm still going through life thinking I, I would love to make this. I would love to do that, but I didn't feel empowered because of leaving school. And so Anyway, if that if that helps anybody, I can guarantee you, uh, leaving school is not the end for yeah. you, especially in today's so, world where you can. There's so much pressure to go to school, and which is kind of funny because there's a lot of pressure to go to school, but then a lot of people also poo-poo art degrees, so it's kind of like <laughs> I know, <laughs> like a catch twenty-two a little bit. Um, but I think I think that there now, especially with maybe the pandemic and the fact that education has kind of changed the the mm -hmm. to me the takeaway from school were the connections that I made not necessarily all of the skills that I learned because the skills could have been 
learned anywhere where for me, the connections that I had made are what then led to some future projects and some future jobs. Yes. But that could have yes. happened by just going into job experience too. You know, the arts yes. are so much a trade and they're, a, they're a version of a trade. So it can be yes. approached very similar, similarly, I feel like. I 100% agree. And that is also confusing messaging when it comes to what I do, because um, I, for a long time, did not think of myself as an artist, specifically during that, that 10 year period in my twenties, when I, I didn't feel like I was doing the thing. Um, I wasn't working as a professional artist. I wasn't working as a professional costume. I'll just say costumer because I still didn't really understand what I was even trying to be. I just knew I wanted to make costumes. Right. And that's my hands on the fabric. (laughs) Yes, I want to I want to do stuff. So, and that's the key is making costumes. I I love design and I I'm obviously an imaginative creative person, but uh really I wasn't ever on a path to be a designer. I really wanted to physically create costumes and it wasn't until I I mean, I, I had a sense of how costume design worked, but it wasn't until I got a job completely by chance, again, through a neighborhood connection. So through a Sanford connection, through, through the town, I was trying to escape this entire time. I made a connection with some people in my hometown who owned a vendor shop. So they owned a small business that created and fabricated theme park cruise line, entertainment industry, costumes, props, scenic elements, puppets, masks, um, just things that go, things that go into those, those types of, uh, big corporate, yeah. uh, uh, places, you yeah. know? So and just, that just was jump my in, big moment. Just to jump in really quick in yeah. case anybody doesn't know, that is how that stuff is done. I think that everybody thinks yes. that a lot of the times it's all very much so in-house for these big corporate places, but they actually do are contracting out to these other smaller artists and shops and companies all the time, specifically here in Florida, where we are theme park Mecca. <laughs> There's <laughs> so many uh smaller vendors. So if anyone out there feels like you have to go be a employee at a theme park, as an artist, the answer is you don't. Just wanted to throw you that don't. in there. <laughs> I mean, there are pros and cons to both. And of course, working in this uh, section of, of the entertainment industry, I do know people who have done both. And I know people who love working for these corporate entities. And if that's your bag, go for it. I yeah. am not, um, we don't really need to get too far into this, but I'm, I'm not a big mouse girl. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not an adult mouse fan. Um, but a lot of my income has come from these types of corporations. So yep. anyway, my job at this shop was really the first time I could pull up and say, I work professionally as somebody who sews, I guess is what it was. And that was fascinating because in a shop environment, you are one of several stitchers usually, and you're working in conjunction with a team of people to make a thing. So if a single costume design, we worked with a lot of wrestlers, for instance. Mm. Oh, when that's those designs such an come- interesting niche too. I've had somebody <laughs> reach out to me about that. And I was like, I didn't even think oh, about this clientele. This is such a big clientele. Oh, God. It it is it it is a market, especially for a small maker. It's good. It's a lot of one on one and um 
just to sidetrack briefly about that, the wrestlers in, we did mostly NXT, but um, also WWE, you know, it's all kind of part of the same organization, but there are different levels and different programs. They are responsible for their own costumes. They like are, they are yeah. responsible for the, the design and acquisition <laughs> of their own costumes, which coming from a theatrical sort of vibe is, uh, I won't say theatrical background. I just told you my background, but knowing the most about theatrical costuming, I was like, that's strange that you would make a performer, uh, you put that on their shoulders because what if yeah. it's not good? You know, what, what are they going to do? Like, they can't take it back. It was custom. You know, what, right. what are you going to do? So it was an interesting experience, but let's just say a wrestler or a small client like that comes in, a performer, a pianist, you know, musicians, magicians, whatever they come in and they want a costume done. You have a team of people working and in our shop, it would be like, okay, uh, 8 a.m. We all show up at the same time. Whoever showed up first, it's like, okay, great. We're going to have you work on this part. And then uh, assumingly you're going to hem some pants from yesterday because you got here second. So you get the second assignment and then the third person. So in a, in a way we were very much you not used. We were utilizing just our skills, mm-hmm. the yeah. craft part. And there was no design work. There was no, there was creative problem solving, but we were very much like exchangeable, you know, like if it, if it's Annie who sits down, it's basically the same as if Sumali does it. Like it wasn't about who you were or your ideas. It was about your ability to sew. And I'm not criticizing that. I just want to point out that to me, that was what pointed out what my um, sort of like penchant was like what what my what my specialty and um desire was it was making it was fabrication it was doing the thing rather than dreaming up the thing and putting it down on paper right so that was educational and I was in that job for about three years so that's my that's my only training really is being kind of like a really uh, like an apprentice in the shop and uh, learning everything on the job (laughs) Similarly, I'm going to ask so, you to pause for a second. So that's my training. Dogs to calm down. I'm so sorry. No problem. One second. Yeah. They're, they're eyeballing okay. me. <laughs> okay. So, um, so you did three years, three years with them. That's a long time actually. Cause I feel like a lot of the times in this yeah. industry, there's a lot of bouncing around, you know what yes. I mean? And I, Oh God, was it three years? It might've been, I think it was over three years as well, because I started in, I want to say 2018. So yeah, no, that's about right. So 2018, so I was there through the pandemic and that was extremely trying. And um, I'll tell you why I didn't bounce around besides the fact that there was a pandemic and that shut down Mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, imagine just all of your clients deciding we're laying off our own people. We're definitely not putting any work out there that we're going to have to pay for. Right. Um, Everything shut down. And I very seriously, this was, this was my first pivot. First pivot in my career was me asking myself in March of 2020, like, what on earth will I do if my shop closes? Because to me at that time, I was so emotionally dependent on the idea that the only thing, the only thing that makes me professional is having this job. The only thing that makes me a professional is that I work in the shop and I get a W-2 from this employer. If I don't have this and I don't have my boss slash mentor and I don't have access to his tools and his shop, then I'm nothing. That's how I felt. I felt like if this shop closes, no one will ever hire me because I'm not qualified and I don't know what I'm doing. And that was such a misconception. I was going to say stupid, but it's not, it's not stupid. And I think a lot of people suffer from it, but I had a serious insecurity 
problem because again, of that nature of being uh, utilized for my skills, but I thought my skills were completely dependent on the shop. And then on the other side, I wasn't doing any design work. So I thought it had nothing to do with me and that, you know, I thought I had everything to do with that shop. And that is crazy because as soon as I broke away from the shop, because I started asking myself those questions in the early pandemic, because I started asking myself those questions, I realized once I broke away, I have so much, you know, I had, I was like a little sponge and I had soaked up so much from being in that shop. And I learned so much about my own craft. So many things had become so natural to me that the average person doesn't, they don't even know these processes exist. They don't, they don't know, like I can thread pretty, pretty much any sewing machine, sit down in front of any machine. Like, I just know what it is. I just know how to do it. I can do it almost with my eyes closed. Um, These basic functions of being a stitcher had become so ingrained in me that I was taking them for granted, but the average person doesn't know how to do that. And um, so even though it wasn't creative, original design work, it's, it's so strange. I had become like an artisan basically. Like, yeah, I had become a functional artisan. There's so much creative problem solving when it comes to stitching and constructing that, I mean, I have told you this before, but you, I will be the first to say that you are a far better stitcher and seam and <laughs> than I am far, oh. be- far better. Um, I've seen your work. You've done work for me. And I was like, holy hell, this is, and I was like, this is pristine. And you're like, sorry, it's not my best work. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I definitely had a mental breakdown the day that I had to hand that to you. <laughs> I was like, what? But again, that's, that's the perfectionism about? thing. Um, right. And you know, it's funny because people, designers say that about their work. You know, they, they hand me a rendering and I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, this is so beautiful. And they'll be like, oh, you know, it's really sort of derivative or like, oh, it's, I wish I could have taken it further, but the budget. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Right. <laughs> like, We've all got that in us, in the art critic in it, in ourselves, yeah. for ourselves, you know? <laughs> We've all got yeah, that, absolutely. but there are, there are so many when it comes to, and I think that anybody that does any type of like hands-on anything, it's not just like, it's not that it's not creative because it sewing is absolutely creative. And you, there are so many times that I, that I've had to come up with some type of creative solution to something that is not probably the way it should be done, but it's just like not being, it's not working the normal way. So you got to use your yep. creative brain and you have to have knowledge of like, materials you have to have knowledge of how it's going to be worn how the actor is going to move in it there's all this stuff that goes into it that makes it so much more than than just stitching and I don't like saying just stitching because anyone that is stitching is I'm not trying to devalue that at all but I think that nope I understand I think that when people think about stitchers you know it's a, a different it's at a different um they think of it like a laborer considering stitching stitchers as sort of laborers, that is a little bit, um, you know, you have to be so careful about the words you use, but that is a little bit what I was getting at when I said, you come in and you just get assigned a thing. It's because you're equally also skilled, skilled laborers Mm -hmm. that you can be assigned any random part of this and just trust it to problem solve your way through whatever that project is. And for anyone listening who's unfamiliar with stitching, like I'm not talking about taking a simplicity pattern and following rote written instructions or technical instructions that tell you what to do step by step. This is literally like 
handing someone a rendering or a drawing and then reverse engineering, breaking down what the garments are, what the pattern pieces look like, how it will fit to the body, and then what each and every construction step, it's all up here. You know, like it's all in the mind and you have to self-guide yourself through that process. And again, depending on how the, the shop is structured, different people do different parts of those jobs, yeah. but you're right. It is 100% up here. And I don't know if anybody's interested. I did do a TikTok on this recently, um, talking about different types of creativity, not to, not to pivot to that real quick, but no, I did a lot sell of thinking it. about sell, it. Sell yourself. This yeah. is what for. <laughs> Great. So on my TikTok, I'm just kind of sharing this, this exploration coming from my background, coming from where I am, this, this, this journey of constantly pivoting to make a living, right? That's, that's kind of where I am. Um, and what it means to be a stitcher and what it means to be a creative and how that relates to you supporting yourself, mm. me supporting me actually supporting this yeah. is how I'm going to support myself. It's not instructions. It's not a tutorial, certainly. Cause I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know that I'm qualified to give advice on that at this time, but I, I did a TikTok where, um, I'm talking about different types of creativity. And I think in our culture, frequently we use the word creative when we mean original. Mm -hmm. So say we use this language where we say, oh, she's, she's so creative. What people usually mean by that is she's got great ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's really original. She comes up with these abstract concepts and I love her designs because X, Y, Z. But the word creative to me relates to the act of creation. So if you think of um, traditional crafts, for instance, um, if you think of, well, say quilting, that's loaded for sewing people, but quilting or um, any sort of uh, needlework um, from, from different cultures, any sort of weaving, any sort of um, spinning, any sort of fiber arts, a lot of these people create items and they are the same patterns and they are the same. There's sometimes the same colors. They're the same, you know, they don't make a lot of, um, they don't, they don't um, differ. They don't, they don't deviate from a lot of the traditional techniques, colors, patterns, et cetera. And yet they are creating those items still. They are masters of their craft and they're putting out these, these prolific items. They're prolific at creating these items and they are creating, that is creative. They are creating something that didn't previously exist. So to me, I, I would like us to stop using the word creative when we mean original, you mm -hmm. know, because you say that person doesn't have any ideas. She always does the same design over and over again. That doesn't mean she's not creative. She's making a hundred of those items a year, you know, using the, those skills that she has. So anyway, I, uh, yeah, yeah I, I've had to talk myself through that a lot in order to find my own value as a creative, I think it's, sometimes I have felt useless. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting you touch on this. Cause when I was going honestly back and forth about what to name this podcast, um, and like, I finally landed on working artist as kind of like a play on starving artist. Um, yes. but it, I went back and forth a lot about whether I wanted to use the word artist or if I wanted to use the word creative um, and using creative as like a noun, as if like, I am a creative, you know, as opposed to yep. an adjective and bouncing back and forth between that. Um, and I kind of ultimately just felt like artists, um, was more self-explanatory, I guess, than creative for a, yes. a lot of the same reasons that you just said. But I too feel like when I think of like, like I am a creative because when I say artist, I feel like sometimes that almost puts me in a box. 
a little bit Mm -hmm. where creative is a little bit more broad. And because this podcast is not going to limit itself to maybe more traditional art, it's going to, it's got, I'm going to talk to a lot of different types of people that I wanted to kind of like think about it more in like a creative sense. I mean, that's why my my business is literally like my name and then like creative because I didn't want to, I didn't even want to put costumes Yeah. I didn't even want to put costumes in my business name because what if it morphs into, into something, I don't know. I don't know what time's going to bring me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I just didn't, I didn't want to commit. So I, I (laughs) that's a separate issue, Annie. Yeah. That's a whole nother episode. (laughs) Yeah. That's a whole bag of beans. I 100% agree with you. And you know, people started using artists towards me on my Instagram a couple of years ago, I would post things that I did. And again, like that perfectionism streak, I would post things and, you know, basically like apologizing in the caption, because to me, it was never, you know, it was never what I wanted it to be. It was something constructed under X circumstances with with budget and material limitations, et cetera. And I'd just be like, oh, I was going for this, but it turned out like this. And I don't know. And people people loved it. And I had to learn to accept that people were calling me artistic or an artist or creative, you know, whatever words they wanted to apply, because that's how they perceive the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, every time artist comes up, I'd be like, Oh, I'm not an artist. Like I didn't come up with this idea. I copied it from a portrait from the 16th century. And it's like, uh, well, yeah, but you're still an artist, you know, it, right. it is a loaded term. It's funny that you should bring that up, but yeah. I love, I love the podcast. I was just, and I was just talking to somebody about how art is so, um, like not to be like, there's no original art, but like, really there's no like actual hundred percent original art because we're all being Correct. inspired and influenced by previous art. Yes. And like the, the more that we're all like, yeah, that's just how it is. The the less like icky it can feel, you know, like that, yes! especially in costumes, like, like there's that when it comes to costumes, I cannot tell you how frequently I have a director in a meeting being like, so we're want to go with the movie version, you know? Oh! And it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, so like, I'm not originally designing anything in the show then. Okay, Got cool. it. Great. <laughs> But you know what, Annie, though, what I will want. say, yes, and it is often what the people, the audience, the ticket holders want. Yep. But what I will say is just to illustrate for people, when somebody, when a director says they want the movie designed to you as the designer, you still have all this shit you got to figure out. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm allowed to, but um, yeah, yeah the research portion stuff. is just a lot smaller, pretty much. <laughs> Yes. And you know what? Again, like going back to what I do, like somebody hands me a picture and sometimes somebody hands me a picture from a movie and it's like, that doesn't mean my job is over. Like I still need to source materials that give the same effect, that that fit the same, that will have the same stretch qualities that will whatever. And then figure out like, what is that embellishment? Break it down. Like, oh, it looks like it's a layer of sheer and then there's rhinestones over it. And then it looks like maybe there's some, you know, yeah. you still and- you still have a lot of creative brain power. Right. And then also creating apply. costumes that that replicate costumes that have like a budget that was 20 times the budget that you're about to use (laughs) you know they're like we want the the movie version I'm like ah the version that had a two million dollar budget absolutely let's see if we can make that happen (laughs) and we do know no benefit happen (laughs) 
Yes, we do. And it's, um, you know, actually not to pivot to this, but it's something uh, sometimes you got to put your foot down and say, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe I shouldn't be asked to do that with this amount of money. And maybe that's fucking disrespectful to me and my art that you want me to copy someone else's design on a way smaller budget. Why? Because you just have a bug up your ass and you want it. Yep. (laughs) Hey, Sumali, I heard you quit theater. Shall we talk? Shall we go into that? A little bit. <laughs> so, okay. if you guys don't know, um, Sumali was doing theater for a while and designing and stitching for theaters. Um, and recently, the end of this year, she quit. She quit theater, and she has good reasons. I'm a hardcore theater diet right now. Um, okay, so I think I think Colonel is the best way to go because yeah. I don't really know how to summarize it still without being uh too OTT but yeah. uh so I worked in that shop for three years podcast so oh okay, we love it <laughs> oh um we love that so I worked in my shop for three years mm-hmm. and um you know the pandemic changed a lot of personal dynamics in that shop and um and so I, I could have probably kept working there for the rest of my life if I wanted to. Um, but because I had started questioning myself, what am I going to do if the shop closes? I, tr- I was trying to be more independent. And that thought process sort of led me to, you know what, it is time for me to figure out what else is out there um, and see where else I could possibly have a, a position in this industry. So in June of 2021, I said, uh, I'm going to step away from the shop. I'm going to take a sabbatical. I'm gonna, I, I, there were so many things I wanted to do to improve myself and to sharpen my skills. Basically. Um, I still had no, no sense of what I was capable of when I left the shop. Um, and so I said, I'm going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to learn pattern making. I'm going to learn flat drafting. Um, I'm going to make a bunch of portfolio things. I'm, I'm going to bone up basically. I was like, I'm going to prepare myself to apply to things is what I thought I was going to do. Did you take did you do that first off before I ask you this question, I guess, did you do those things? Like, did no. Okay. I was going to, I was about to be like, did you take classes or did you self-teach, but you didn't do any of it. So never mind. <laughs> I was going to let, let me tell you. And like, if you're listening, you'll probably hear the sub subtext of this and go like, Oh, I, okay. Like you should have known, like, maybe you're a dumbass. Maybe we shouldn't be listening to you. Just kidding. Um, I was very naive. What can I say? Um, it's, I, so my mentality is a was, learning experience. So it really is. And again, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be as, um, like honest about this as possible so that people Please. can, can, can learn. Cause I don't want anybody bottom line. I don't want anybody to ever feel as shitty as I felt sometimes through this process. Mm -hmm. If I can help anybody avoid this pain, I will. So I, uh, (laughs) in 2021, I, my mentality was, again, I dropped out of school. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't work without this shop. I came to this wanting to freelance, wanting to explore costuming and stitching, very vague cloud of ideas with total humility and total, I was just like as humble as possible thinking nobody's going to want to work with me. I need to become a person people are going to want to work with. Mm. <laughs> well, that was silly because <laughs> I met one person, my friend and Nick, who also know, um, who was working as a costume designer at the time um, in Sanford. So at a theater in my hometown, I was like, great place to start. I had submitted, uh, it was made to them a long time ago off Twitter, and that felt like everything. I felt like I am putting myself out on a tightrope. I am, I'm leaving it all on the dance floor. I'm like, here's my resume. I suck. You know, um, please hire me. 
And that is, I can see you laughing. I had no idea what I got myself into. I met this one friend. We hit it off right away. She is amazing. Um, incredibly creative, very, she's a great abstract thinker. She's a true designer. So, so we made a great pair because she had only started sewing three years before. Actually, I didn't even know that at, at the time. So when I approached Indigo, she was a resident costume designer at a theater. I had submitted a resume to that was that was never even responded to. The email was never even responded to. Love that. Separate issue. In one conversation, Indigo and I, I didn't know this at the time, but we both were showing up from the same emotional place going, I really need to impress this person. This could be really big for me. Mm-hmm. So in that one conversation, I learned that she had no formal training. I learned that she was completely self-taught in the last three years um, and was just driven by this love of costume. And she's one of the most knowledgeable costume people I've met in person uh, as far as history goes and construction goes for not having any formal education. It's stunning, actually. So from that experience, and it was a slow uncovering for me realizing, oh, I, I think this person is a big deal. But as it turns out, she's just a human being and she is on, she's on her own journey of self-education and learning about costume. And she somehow, she somehow wiggled her way into being a resident costume designer. And mm-hmm. I just, I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, it's just her. The more I worked in Orlando, <laughs> the more I worked in theater in Orlando, uh, I came to discover that uh, I made a mistake. Not everyone made the mistake of thinking that not that I that that everyone else would be just as insecure about achieving their dreams as I am. Mm. And that was dumb. That was to my own detriment, because in certain markets, you can get away with knowing very little and having very little experience or training as long as you're confident. And that is exactly I'm sorry, this is not about talking shit about Orlando, but you're asking me why Mm -hmm. this is why go through life thinking that you're not qualified and you got to live up to other people's standards. You need to find out what those standards are first, because I found out working just six months. So from June to December, 2021, I learned, you don't, you don't have to know anything to work in this market. You just have to sell yourself and you have to be confident and you have to produce. If you can do that, then congratulations. You're a professional costume designer. That that is literally 50% Uh, of the job. No, I actually think that that is like, that is 50% of the job because if you can, can, because even, even if you are confident for a good reason, because you are, can actually back it up. Half of your job is being in a meeting with the rest of the team, convincing them that your idea is the idea. So, so even if your idea is a good idea and you're convincing them, literally half the job is convincing people that your idea is the idea. Yes. So if you're able to do that and the idea is not even that great, then I guess like power to you, you know, but yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, so, uh, it took a while for me to catch up to this, to really realize. So within six months I realized, oh, I can work in, I can work in this, this part of the industry. People accept that people are asking me to do things. People were asking me to design. Um, and part of the reason for that, cause you know, I wasn't seeking out design. Um, part of the reason is because in Orlando, yeah, in Orlando, there's a, there's nobody wants to work as a designer in costume because of, I well actually, you know what, that's a whole can of worms. I don't know if I should open that, but there's a shortage of costume designers. I'll just say there's people, theaters based on the correspondence I have received uh, theaters have a very difficult time finding costume designers. I won't say why, except that, um, it's 
it's because it's coincidental that they've also never heard of the term stitcher before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of these theaters in Orlando that are, I'll call them semi-professional. Mm -hmm. They, they don't have the professional infrastructure to support costume designers. Um, yes. They do have the professional infrastructure departmentally to support other departments, such as scenic, such as props, um, lighting. These, these are all departments that for whatever reason, theaters think are worth giving support yeah. personnel. And by, and, but yeah, I was going to say by support, you mean like actual <laughs> human bodies. <laughs> yes, yes. Human, human labor to support the act of costuming a, a show. And um, so that is at the heart of why I have to quit theater. I have quit theater. And so again, like timeline wise, I spent the last 12 months. So all of 2022, I was just kind of riding this wave of people asking me to work with them. I said yes to every contract. I was like, let me just bust ass and see what's out there. Um, and I'll go ahead and say my partner that I, well, we're married now, but you know, my, my partner of a long time knew this was really important to me. And he said, shoot your shot, get out there, see, see what work you can get, see what you can get paid for. Just, just explore every option. And if, if you need to stop because it's not working, we'll stop. And I was like, okay. So I had the blessing of my, my household, um, you know, financially to, mm -hmm. to kind of explore this. And that, that is valuable. And I think what sets me apart from other people working in Orlando and design is not that I'm such a great designer, but that I had the freedom to do that because now I know, <laughs> now I know the limitations of being a costume designer in Orlando in this market, what, what is possible. And now you and I kind of worked at, well, you worked at some of the same theaters that I did, but I did, yeah. you are working in a different way. You're working with theaters that do have support personnel in the form of costume yeah. shops. So yeah, that's similarly, that's because I, I had to, at a certain point in my career, be like, I can't do this anymore with theaters that don't have shops. Yes. And when they would offer me a contract, I would say along the something along the lines of, if I'm going to work with you without any support, you need to pay me this amount, not the amount that you're offering me. Yes. Or- you need to hire support. Those are my two options. Yep. And I did have a theater yep. that was like, okay, we'll hire you support. Um, ultimately that show ended up getting canceled for, for reasons, but reasons. I did have a, but yeah, but I did have a theater that said yes, which I wasn't sure if they were going to. And just, a, and in the email, I was like, to be honest with you, theater really takes at least three positions in order to make it happen at a high quality. And that is the designer a costumer and a stitcher, you know, because it yep. really, oh, it really does. It. <laughs> and I was like, so it, the reason I'm asking for more money is because if you don't hire over hire somebody, I'm going to have to subcontract out the stitching. So that yep. that's, you know, and when I explained that they were like, okay, well then we'll hire somebody so that we can control how much we're paying that other person versus how much I was asking, yes. you know? Which that was is a like, whole separate issue. Yeah. But <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's, sorry, just to make a comparison real quick. One, I want to say you don't need that help because, oh, Annie, your designs are just so, they're so um, out of scope and they're so fantastical right. and magical and it's impossible for one person to do. All shows are impossible for one person. It should never be right. one person. Right. If it's not a one position. person show with a max yes. of like three costumes. That is the only like one, like one person designer type of show that is doable. Totally agree. 
because people, and again, this is, this is really getting into like brass tacks of this position, but um, you know, as far as being an artist, being a visiting artist to a theater, and that's what you are as a designer. You don't work. You aren't, you aren't W2. You aren't an employee of the theater. Right. You are a contract employee. You are, yeah. or you're a contract designer. You come in, that's that you could do one show there and never see that theater again. Ha, exactly. ha, ha. It happens all the time yep. um, because it sucks. <laughs> you never go back. Um, but you come in as a visiting artist. Why, why should I be expected as a visiting artist to um, be responsible for the organization of your costume stock? Why should I make decisions about how your costumes are organized, how, how the laundering schedule works, um, you know, how, how anything in the, in the costuming of a production works beyond the design? What, what a designer should do is produce the designs for the show and oversee those designs being carried out. And guess what? As a parallel in other departments, such as scenic, that is what happens. And that's why I have to quit <laughs> because I am so frustrated by the utter lack of respect for our department. Mm -hmm. It's not me as an individual, it's for our department as a whole. Because when you go to any of these theaters, I'm talking about every single theater I worked at where I was given no personnel support. Mm -hmm. a, there was a scenic designer on every single show. And you know what? I will tell you, Annie, do you know how many scenic designers I've ever met in my life? Like none. Right. <laughs> they don't step foot in the building. They send right. designs to a team at the theater and somebody else builds them and make sure they're safe and make sure they're up to spec and make sure that they look good. And then the designer shows up to Tech Week if they show up at all, honestly, and they go, yep, everything looks good. They troubleshoot any issues the week of tech. They come to opening night, they shake everybody's hands and they wave their little hat around, kiss some babies, and then they're fucking out of there. Where? <laughs> right. Well, and I do as wonder a costume too, designer. Yeah. I do wonder yes. too, like, what would they, what would they do if I was like, yeah, I can absolutely do this contract, but I can't be there for tech week because I have another, because I have another contract. Would yeah. I'll zoom in. Maybe. Right? <laughs> like, would they even take my contract at that point if that were the case? But Probably actually, I don't not. know that they have anybody. But who are they going to replace us with? Do you know what I mean? Who are they going to replace? Okay, so that's another little interesting pivot real quick, if I, if I may. This is why it's important for artists to talk to each other. Because I will tell you what happened. For a while, it was trickling down. If you didn't take a contract, maybe it would go to Indigo. Mm -hmm. If Indigo didn't take it, I would take it because I didn't know any better. And then now that I'm not taking contracts, because as I said, I'm quitting theater. And that started, that started six months ago. I had to start saying no to contracts six months ago so I could free up my 2023. Otherwise, I would have been booked. Right. My jobs that were offered to me, it specifically has happened with at least two. I found this out recently from the designer who took them have trickled down to the next person who has no idea that what they're being asked to do is completely out of scope. Right. They have no idea that they are being disrespected. And I was so, this is my full circle story as I met this designer who was taking, who had taken at least two of the jobs that I had rejected because I very clearly and respectfully told the theaters when they offered them to me, uh, I cannot afford to be a costume designer in this market. Thank you so much. I have loved working together. I would love to find a way for us to work together again, but this is currently not a sustainable position and I I can't say yes to this. Yeah. Again, I love you. I work with you. It's not about that. It's not because I don't like you or your theater. It's because what you're asking is not sustainable or appropriate. 
And until something budges with that, I, I simply cannot design anymore. Yeah. Um, boundary setting is something I'm learning in 2023. Um, and so, so they, they heard that for me. Theaters, mm-hmm. theaters. I said that to them. No response, of course. No response. Yeah, they just asked somebody else. I said else, those words. Say, yes. They just asked somebody else. So hearing that from me, they don't even bother to dialogue with me, and they don't bother to adjust the offer. They just mm-hmm. offer it to somebody else, some other sucker who says yes. And that particular sucker um, is a very nice lady that again I met, and I started stalking her online because I saw the theater she was working with, and I was like, "Girl, I don't know. We're gonna need to talk in six months." Mm-hmm. And shit we're talking and she she has had the exact same experiences as I have but you know what she said she said I guess it's just me paying my dues because I don't have any education in this I don't have a degree I don't have any formal training like you so I have had to work my way a different way and I said girl Uh yes and um it's, it's about more than just the stipend amount as well. It's what you're being asked to do for the stipend, like the job description, right. basically. Like the job description is wrong. And I, I don't really believe in using objective language that way, but it is dead ass wrong. Yeah. The, the job and description do, is out of scope. I don't necessarily believe that theaters are trying trying to like pull a fast one all the time. That's like, that's not really oh, no. what it is. I really think what it comes down to is that, yeah, the people that are making the decisions about that type of stuff don't have any costume training. A lot of technical directors and a lot of producers, they come from like maybe a scenic world or direction world, a stage management world. Costumers don't really like tend to go up into that type of direction. So there's no experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's, so there's nobody on, there's nobody at the like in the boardroom that has any experience in the costuming area to even advocate in the first place you know yes and advocate is a good word because it is it is kind of like you gotta fight you know you have to assert yourself and say I these are my boundaries as far as what the job description is and this is what I absolutely must be paid at minimum for to even show up right which is why I think you're right nobody at the top knows the job which is why it's such a different experience when you're working with a theatrical company that does have a full functioning costume shop and a costume shop manager that's been there for years and will be the first person to be like, you guys know this isn't going to work, you know, because then, and I've had even, um, I mean, there's quite, I've have a couple of theaters that do have a full functioning costume shop that I've worked with at this point multiple times because they keep asking me back because I enjoy working with them. Therefore my product is better and I'm not stressed the hell out. Yes. You know, so. you have a, you have a rapport. And I think that's, that's why we get into this is to have this joy in costuming, not, not to fucking struggle bus our way just to, just to make, to scrape out a living, you know? Right. And as a side note, again, like talking about these different levels, this is just something that I was not familiar with. I didn't really understand the costume shop designer dynamic. And I didn't realize that was missing from what I was doing. I was just riding a wave. You have to understand. I was, I like caught it and I just rode it all the way yep. to shore and I realized, Oh, that's over. Okay. Um, so that it was a year of experiment, which is what I want to explore more in my, my blogging and TikTok. But, um, it's funny that you, you mentioned the shops as well, because and this is no shame towards the shops. Again, it's about people at the top who make decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be a designer. I'm not trying to, I'm an, I call myself an accidental designer because I got hoodwinked into believing that that's what I needed to do. (laughs) Those were the only jobs being offered to me. It's the same type of thing whenever someone's an actor and then they're like, so you want to be on Broadway, right? 
it's like the sa- it's like the same type of mentality where it's like if you're doing anything with sewing it's like so you want to be a fashion designer yeah people don't, oh even, my God. people don't even say costume designer they're like when I explain what I do and it's somebody that's just like not in the industry they're like so you want to have like your own like line of clothes and I'm like no yeah you want to do <laughs> runway shows yeah no, like, no. I didn't say so you want to go to New York what I want to do absolutely not I do not like no I didn't say that yeah and you know it, it's funny I again want to get into this way more in my content because it's so misunderstood people in my life that like love me and respect me and think think I am an artist and I do these things it goes back to that originality creativity factor where the person with the ideas is respected the hands that produce the work are not and I think it has to do with um our view of of workers in this country mm-hmm. and um that's a whole different bag of beans but it really does have to do with um you know the architect versus the contractor you know the architect designs the building but that building's not standing without the contractors that 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 employ the people putting hammer to nail right and when I call myself a stitcher people in my life well they've learned now but there are various friends and family who who think Oh, Sumali, don't, don't say that about yourself. You are so much more than a stitcher. And I'm like, um, what? Right. You're like, you need to have some self-respect for your job. You mm-hmm. are so much more than a stitcher. And We're I say- literally devaluing maybe, my job. Yes. Maybe you are the one who doesn't respect what I do. You're not listening to, to what I, what, what I actually do as a job, like what I actually get paid to do. So uh, anyway, and, it's just a fascinating ongoing. Well, and leaning into that because my, um, my husband is in trade as well so it's like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of parallels um because he he does plumbing right and there's a lot of parallels where like similarly to stitching someone finds out you do a thing they're like oh hey can you hem my pants where they're like oh hey can you fix my faucet like it's like literally it's literally it's so similar it's uncanny but it's interesting that when it comes to things like that and then when you price accordingly they're shocked you know You're like, well, yeah, yes. man, I've been doing this for X amount of years. You're not going to get the yes. entry level prices, friend, <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, yes. And, you know, labor is separate from materials. We, you know, we all know this, any, but any artists listening know this already. Um, but it, it is funny how people will compliment you and devalue you in the same breath, yep. you know, like ask you how some, how much something will be a costume commission will be. And then in the same breath, when you tell them, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very honest. I don't even give a hard number. I just say, well, my labor starts at $40 an hour. So, you know, this is, this is going to be at least 30 hours of labor, at least, you know, yeah. they'll say something about, oh, well, the materials or, oh, I only, it retails for this, or I only expected X, Y, Z. And I'm like, why are you even asking for custom? Then you clearly don't respect what I do. You clearly don't understand the value right. of it, or you wouldn't even be saying these things to me, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I don't and mind I... educating people and it's fine, but yeah, it's annoying. And there is, there is like this, um, of course, you can get things on Amazon. I buy things off of Amazon all the time for for theaters. They have the quickest shipping. I have I don't to. Know, I don't know what to say. Because I'm in Orlando. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I try to support Etsy shops as much as I can, but sometimes the shipping yes. just doesn't work out when you're on a tight schedule and there's not a return for the policy. timelines. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes yeah. to these custom it's... to custom commissions, which I know you've also done, it's interesting when um. I'm not sure how you structure it, but I usually have people send me a bunch of images and, and ideas. Then I create a personalized quote based off of that project for them, knowing full well in my head that there's a chance that they're going to be like, this is outside of my scope. And then me thinking autumn already ahead of time, if there's like a budget version I can do for them very clearly when I do the budget budget version, 
when I send it to them, I'm like, these are the corners being cut. Know that. I don't mind doing that for you yep. at all. Um, if you are okay with the corners being cut, you're, you know, like that's yes. how, that's how it works, <laughs> you know? Um, yep. and it's funny. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just, building quotes like that. Yeah. I was going to just, it's so much work. That. It is. It's literally yeah. already taking two hours of my time to like research all the materials and things like that anyway. Um, yep. which we don't charge for, by the way, we just usually have which, to try by and like, the way, yeah, you have to build that in in some other way. And, you know, to be honest, this is, uh, somebody suggested this to me recently because I, I did two very detailed quotes. Um, and I, I was trying to be dead ass honest with myself about how many hours I was, I was trying to be realistic because I, I am very burnt out from theater. And if I'm going to take a job, the way I see it is how much does somebody need to pay me per hour to mm -hmm. not work on personal costume project of my own for my own body for myself right. that is a hobby how how much um how much do they have to pay me per hour for me to say no to a dinner invitation because I have a deadline yeah what's how your much, time worth you know to re yes exactly what is my time worth and so I was trying to be very honest with these quotes and then as you said rounding up the materials and just figuring out maybe like tier one tier two or like option a option b at two different price points rounding that up takes forever and there's still a lot of estimation and I said this to a friend and they said uh, well, maybe when they don't take the commission, they, they need, or maybe before you even reveal what the estimate is going to be, mm -hmm. they need to pay you a consultation fee. And I was like, interesting. Yeah. And then if they take it, if they say, oh yeah, let's, let's move forward. It's like then you in. just, it, it's built into, to the commission. And yeah. I'm like, I have to start doing that because I am not, there's way too much work in those estimates. And the thing is, they're usually one-off clients. Sometimes they return, of course, mm -hmm. but these are not big corporations. They're not ordering 50 costumes. They're ordering one costume. And mm -hmm. if I have to put three hours into a quote just so they can make a decision, I do think yeah. that should be built. So yeah, I also if, built, if that's an issue for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I also built a, um, like a little Excel sheet database. Actually, I had my intern do this for me this year. Um, and it's just Ooh. got, it's a whole um, just kind of log of what, every what the hours are for different components so I can just look at this sheet look at the costume that they're sending me uh, and just start adding up hours based off of what it is so and that has that. saved me yeah. so much time doing that and is, do it, that. is it 100% spot on absolutely not but it's it's definitely close enough and I usually will add in like an extra hour for wiggle room or something like that you know for error yeah oh yeah um and but it has made the quote system that portion is now infinitely shorter and it's just the material sourcing that is that is takes up the most time to be honest and what's Which, crazy you know is, I like that I need that <laughs> what's crazy is that if they like get a quote for me and I make them expire because cost of things and availability of things go away right so my also quote, my interest in availability <laughs> right exactly uh my quote I think is only good for like a month and then if they come back to me six months later I have to completely redo the quote again because I don't, yep. you know, like, I don't know what's out there. Yep. I 100% agree. And, you know, just estimating timelines can be so tough when you've got all these different projects going on, but that's freelance life. And that's, that's another thing I had to learn through this year of doing theater is even if they, somebody books a show out six months, I, I quickly learned that I was not estimating enough time for my personal labor on any of those shows, which meant that when I started scheduling things in and around those shows, little commissions or alterations mm -hmm. or whatever I was taking in, I was like, oh no, yeah. like I don't, that I can do all of this. Yeah. And I shouldn't be asked to 
is the bottom line, but what, it's tricky to schedule. What projects. I also find interesting is that I've now worked with two different types of production companies. One where I bid the project and others where mm. they just tell me how much they're going or they want to pay me. And then I usually have to okay. like go back being like, I want more than that. Most of the time. Yeah. Um, they softball you a number and you say, yeah, no. most, and I'll, it's hard with nonprofit theaters, right? Because they've got only, they really do only have so much money allotted to them. Uh, the for-profit ones, I go a little bit harder for sure, because I know that the money is there. Um, but in general, like I kind of feel like asking $250 more than what they're asking me is kind of that sweet spot number where they, it doesn't feel like I'm asking a lot but I'm, but it's significant to me. They're like, they can make it yes. work. We're like $500 more is, is usually like, they're like, Whoa, 500, you know, but two yeah. feels comfy for some reason where on the flip side, I've had another, um, another client where I bid the job to them. They're like, send us a, <laughs> send us a bid. And I know that they want to work with me already, but they just want to know how much I want to charge. And it was like that from the get-go of me working with them. They never told me how much they yes. want to pay me. They wanted me to bid them. And so I overbid the first time being like, let's test the waters. And if they talk me down, they'll talk me down. And they didn't. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Ooh, hello. Was, I was like, so they're, yeah. my highest, they're my highest paying client. And I have um, this same project that I've been doing with them for, this is going to be the third year that I do it with them. And I've been raising the price accordingly as like, now I know more clearly what the scope of work is where like that first time I really was just kind of like delving in, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. and the project itself has kind of grown as well, where there's really more components to that now. So like now there's like a designer fee. And then I also have what I'm calling like a costume coordinator fee that they can add on later in the okay. process if they need me to. And that's kind of like fittings and tech week because they it's yes. not it's not in yeah it's not here in Orlando so I have to travel in, which they pay for it mm. I have to travel to do that portion of it so every year at least last year they were like we're gonna try and hire somebody local because we want someone that can be here all the time and I was like absolutely I'm trying to get everything done in one week yeah. that makes perfect yeah, yeah, yeah. sense but if they can't find it they can't find it and so they'll send me so this year last year it was all just like one price this year I kind of broke it up where I was like if I, if it gets added on, this is the fee for that. This is this base designer fee. We'll just move forward from there, you know? Yes. And this year they did do a follow-up meeting and they were like, we feel like the price has gone up a lot. Can we talk about why? And so we did, we had a meeting about it, talked about it. I was like, honestly, the scope of work is more than it used to be. We added on this extra section of the show. Um, I'm probably going to have to like, so, you know, um, subcontract out some some stitching for the alterations if we do this and all this stuff and they're like okay great um if we can get it down to this number then we would be super happy about it and I was like oh yeah we can make it get down to this number I'll just disperse it between the two jobs and then it won't be a big deal but it was still more than what it would have been There's last a year solution. yeah so well I love that they're having this conversation with you that's mm -hmm. again true professionalism is saying I don't understand why this is the way it is can we meet about it you discuss it you come up with a solution versus you know things just are the way they are and if you question that people just don't respond to your email <laughs> right right and I, I feel like all of the emails when I talk whenever I'm asking for more money I'm always like I'd love to chat about this more if it's, yeah. you know, out of the, I've only yep. had one time a theater tell me no. And it was, um, 
it was because they're associated with an edgy with a school so their budget is mm-hmm. is fixed and they, they yeah, yeah and they explained that to me and I was like okay I mean but I like working with you guys anyway so it's fine like well and and they have a shot yeah. they have a shot because they're a student because they're a school so yep. I was like it's fine <laughs> And that's an interesting little situation as well, pivoting back to education and having shops and, you know, what, what value you get out of education. Um, Indigo and I actually have discussed this in the past where, um, isn't it interesting that when you're looking at costume images from around the internet, you go, wow, what a beautiful production. They had great costumes. Mm-hmm. Frequently, it is a university production. And you go, wow, students are making the most beautiful costumes and they're they're really producing and they're doing very high level techniques they're doing very intricate patterning because they're learning right. the funny part is that those students are frequently paying the school so they can do really good work and I know in some college costume shops they're paid like $15 an hour to stitch or whatever but it's like so so that is some of the highest level work some of those students are ever going to do because once you get out in the world and you're not in college anymore it's all it's all these these economic factors we're talking about it's all these budgeting factors we're talking about and it's so to me it's misleading that they're doing this beautiful work in school and then training for for jobs that don't really exist to right. be honest like, yeah here's what I did not, not you know. anticipate was spending 60% of my time costuming online shopping that is yes. not, oh when I was God. in college when I was in college that is not what I thought it was gonna be but when it's but when it's a team of just you or just you and one other <gasps> person there's no possible way you can be building that type of stuff there's just no, no way Oh my God. And so much of it is dependent on, um, you know, again, the resources of each theater and like, how much time are you willing to spend as a single costume designer digging through somebody's stock to find things that may or may not work? You know, it's, it's a lot of labor, but I've always thought, you know, I'd, I'd love an, an alternate universe where I did go to school to see how that would turn out differently for me. But Personally, I, I'm jo- I'm really enjoying finding it this way because it it raises my confidence so much to know that people like you think that I'm good at what I do despite not having. Oh, you are so good at training. what you do! My goodness. No, like it does make a big difference to me because, and you have to understand it all depends on who your mentors are, right? So right. my mentor at my my old shop was a perfectionist, mm-hmm. um, similar to me. It's why we got on so well. But he he was a wizard. I have never seen anybody who can sew like him. I have mm-hmm. never seen anybody who can sew like him. This man was incredible. And I thought that was standard. So I'm, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's like, what kind of household did you grow up in? I, I grew up in a shop that I grew up in a shop that, um, you know, had this magical person who knew how to do everything with yep. ease, you know? And so you get out in the world and you think everybody's going to expect that it's not true. So, so I'm learning my place in this yeah. like sewing hierarchy. <laughs> and I also think leaning into your strengths, right? Like, I think that there is a lot of, um, like a lot of thought that um, if you're in the costuming world, you must then also be like a pro seamstress, a pro designer. Like you must be a pro at like all the things. And that's crazy. not true. And I think that no. um, like, I know, I know that my strengths are, are in creative problem solving, design problem solving and interaction with, um, with my actors, like cu- the customer service yes. portion of it. I know that that's where all of my strengths are. Am I capable of sewing? Yes, I am. Clearly I I do these commissions, but I've gotten- And it makes you a better designer. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I know know what I'm doing, but I'm also know that one of my strengths is being 
a designer who's like, I have this idea and I don't know how to execute it. I need to delegate this to somebody else for it to be done properly instead of just fucking winging it. Like I, and I know that about myself. (laughs) I know that about myself. I'd rather use other people's strengths to subsidize my, my weaknesses, I guess. And I think that once everyone starts, especially in the arts world, when you start leaning into your strengths and realizing that other people having strengths that aren't yours can be also be a good thing because it's such yes. a community-based in theater. It's a group project. We are all working on yes. a group project, you know? So everybody, <laughs> everybody's strengths just need to be utilized instead of being like, you know, me not liking you because you're a better stitcher than me. That's bullshit. Right. You know? Nope. I don't, yeah, I don't subscribe so to much that. There, I think that traditional theater, right? Which I don't think that, I think that era is coming to an end. But traditional theater is Ooh. has like such an emphasis on competition in yes, you know absolutely. And it feels very outdated. It feels very old world to me. And I um, you know, yes, well, number one, yes to everything you're saying, leaning into strengths and delegating and recognizing uh different different people's talents, different team members' talents. Um, additionally, like specifically in costume and in stitching, uh, I'm not gonna use the form dying art or the word dying art because I think I don't think it's dying. I just think uh, we're not well connected enough. Mm-hmm. There's so much work out there for stitchers and for yeah. costume designers. Not all equitable pay, but there is a lot of work out there. And we need we need to be able to delegate. And we we should be able to niche down and say, well, she's, you know, I'm really strong at, at costume construction and, and specifically like period costume construction. Mm-hmm. Um, I can embroider, but I'm not an embroidery expert. You know, there should be an artisan who, who niches down to do embroidery or beadwork or somebody who specializes in corsetry or somebody who specializes in tailoring. And we should be able to say, oh yeah, bring her in, you know, yes. or like let's delegate to that person. And just again, recognizing that you don't have to be a jack of all trades to be successful. Like you should be able to niche down and be so good at what you do and be paid equitably for that yeah. like that I believe that sh- that should be a thing if and you're good the, at something you should be able to niche down and the more that we all lean into that I think the more that we're all going to be doing things we actually love doing you know yes as, yes as opposed we won't to be like, so bitter maybe yeah as opposed to having <laughs> to take on these projects where you where it's like I'm not good at this aspect of this project and it's stressing me out and now I don't love this project anymore you know, where if we feel more comfortable Uh. bringing on other people where it's like, I love, like somebody's like, I love rhinestoning. Amazing. Please rhinestone. Knock yourself out. Yeah. Yeah, Because I don't want to do it at all. Yes. And you know, these are, these are all like, um, costume techniques we're talking about, but going back towards the designer and Annie, I'm a, I'm a terrible decision maker. You have to be a very strong decision maker to be a designer because that's what design is. Design is making decisions. And I have analysis paralysis about everything. So put in that, that's something I learned about myself doing theater here is putting myself in that designer role. I I mean, that's a whole different part of your brain you're using. You have to be decisive. You have to be assertive and you have to say, this is the vision. We're sticking with it and just go. And so like having you who is very experienced in that and also is a problem solver and also is flexible and knows that we can change the, you know, change the, change the vision as necessary. is very valuable working uh, in a synergy situation mm-hmm. with a team, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we've got it all figured out. I don't, I don't really know what's wrong with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> like everyone else needs to get on everybody our else's level. deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't, don't worry, you guys. <laughs> One day, all of the costumers and stitchers of Orlando are going to unite and create an unstoppable business. <laughs> One day. Yes, unstoppable. Absolutely. Unstop. We're all going to oh, be millionaires. Speaking of mm. being a millionaire, let's talk about your, <gasps> can we start talk about your money just a little bit? Because I really want Absolutely. All, everybody I talk to on this podcast, I really want to emphasize a transparency or on money. Um, yes. Because- I know that you and I have chatted about this before, but I just don't feel like artists feel comfy talking about money ever. And that is why a lot of them are underpaid is for that yep. reason specifically. Yep. Um. So very quickly in like just a sentence or two recap what you did are the, are your numbers last year's numbers, 2022 numbers. Yep. Yep. Can you and just I have re- 2021 as well. Perfect. Yeah. Can you just recap the services that you did last year that these numbers are covering and then feel free to talk to me about said numbers. Sure. One brief summary is, sorry, I'm so verbose. Um, To summarize my services, I was primarily contracted to design costumes for various productions. Um, I did, I think I did, I was involved in, and my work appeared in 12 shows for which I was compensated. Oh. So that's about one show a month, just wow. in case. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. And I, it wasn't a matter of, never mind. I had to, I yeah. had to you know, I had yeah. to take that many jobs. And so uh, with my show income, all right, I added this up. You know what? I'll just give you my my total, my gross, mm-hmm. uh, not including obviously checks where I was reimbursed for all the materials that I had to front myself because that's a big thing. Gross. Um, all of all sorry, and I did some alterations. Oh, and I did some contract stitching as well. That was not theater related. It mm-hmm. was subcontracting for um cruise line theme parky type stuff. So I okay. worked under another shop. Anyway, sorry. So my number. <laughs> was 17,359. So that is nice. all of the revenue that I made for my services in 2020. That's so or 2022. Great. And then do you have, do you know how much of that was profit after you spent whatever you need to spend on materials? No, I haven't, I haven't like worked that. out all of my expenses yet. Um, but I can tell you, if you want to know this, in 2021, if this gives you the idea, that was the year I was half in my shop and then half out of my shop. Mm-hmm. I grossed total, I grossed about 10000 That's such a good growth, though. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. It's 10000 but my expenses were about 5000 So mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a lot of a profit. Tricky. Um, yes, and, and I know, um, sorry, just to clarify as well, I don't have a day job, you know, Mm -hmm. so this is, and frankly, Annie, I don't know how you do it because based on the workload I had in 2022, I couldn't get a job. Like (laughs) I I don't know how I'm doing it either, to be honest with you. So TBD. You're amazing. (laughs) I I guess lean into the fact that I am a night person and not a morning person. And that has done me a favor, but (laughs) um, I love it. Um, so, so yeah. you're full, full time. So you, that means that you, um, how do you pay yourself? Like, do you pay yourself? Let's start there. Do you pay yourself from your business stuff or do you just kind of keep it all in, in the business? I mostly keep it all in the business. I make, um, I make owner's draws when I need 
too. Sure. <laughs> so yep. everything, all income that I receive goes into the business. And um, when I need $500, I write myself a check for $500. And then I hope that I can put it back in the business later. Um, but yeah, I do not pay myself regularly. But I do want to go ahead and say, I don't want anybody thinking I'm just like a dilettante housewife who has a little <laughs> hobby on the side. Like, as I said, I as many so people many hours think working. stitchers are, may I just add, <laughs> like, well, it's just sewing, you know, it's a womanly art form, yeah. which yes. is Goodness. just fucking around at the sewing machine all day. Um, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I again made an agreement with my, with my husband where we said, again, shoot your shot, just see mm. what's out there and land anything that will come back around. And to clarify, when I was working in my uh, shop job, I made um, $17 an hour. And, you know, some, some, some years I worked a lot of overtime. So I'd make between 30 and 35. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I picture, like, that was a very comfortable income for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't extravagant by any stretch of the means. And I know uh, it's again, talking about money is kind of tough because different numbers mean different things to different people. I'm just speaking from personal experience, um, with what my husband makes, which is under six figures mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. with what I make, um, that was a comfortable place for us to be for where we live with our cost of living and for our goals to, I don't know, retire one day and not have to do this for the rest of my freaking life. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I'm worried about arthritis. I'll just say, I'm very worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a comfortable income for me. So that's always kind of my goal is to get back to like that $30,000 figure, um, gross. Um, so we're, you know, we're working on it. We're doing it, but, yeah. um, I'm sorry. I lost track of what, what you originally asked me. No, but, I don't ah, even, I don't that, remember either. So in, tw- so in 2021, because I know with 2022 stuff, like it's, we're still kind of like gathering all of those numbers. Like, I don't even yes. know everything for 2022, right? The second, um, so for 2021, what was your, with your, so with the shop and with your, um, contractor stuff, what was your, your yearly income? Like, what were you reporting? That was the 10,000. That was the 10,000 with the shop mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Oh, I didn't have very many that. hours. Anyone. Yeah. I was still pandemic time. Um, and our clients hadn't started, uh, fire, not firing. They hadn't, um, they weren't pulling the trigger on a lot of projects. So, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, again, that was very influential in my, my decision to leave as well, because yeah. it's not like I was making my full-time income. Um, so I might as well do something with that time, yeah. you know, and that's. So what are your, what are some of your goals for this year then? What's you want that? <gasps> Tell me about it. Tell me about your goals for this year as we move forward. Okay. So for 2023, I, again, would like to reach that income goal of 30,000 gross. Um, and I'm, I'll be honest about goals in general. I'm trying to be kind of laissez-faire, uh, being hyper-focused on specific goals when you are freelancing can be a little bit tough, especially since I am currently exploring a new mode of revenue. So that's another one of my goals, which is to get just as many jobs in this new mode as possible. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that those, those projects that I'm referring to are corporate subcontracts. So from other shops, slightly mm-hmm. larger shops than my person shop, they're giving me uh, contracts for the cruise lines, the theme parks, um, and things like that. And it's essentially piecework, which again, doesn't sound very glamorous to people, but piecework is you get paid by the piece and, um, there are complex costume items, uh, garments for these big corporations that have to be very precise. And I make them with a tech pack and I basically assembly line them and, uh, yeah, I get paid really well to do that. So I'd like to build that side of my business, uh, nice. the piecework 
subcontracts. Uh, yes, very excited about that. But that's, you know, that's kind of vague. I'm like, overall, I want to make $30,000. Um, but I'd like to start there. And my other, my other goal, which again, is kind of nebulous, and I'm researching it now, I had an epiphany the other day. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm debuting it here and now. Ooh. Uh, I, yeah, I, I want to, I want to work in England. I want to work in the UK really badly. Most of the shows that I love, the really like, you know, prestige television, high production shows that I would want to stitch on, um, they they film in they film in England and in and around London. So I I don't have anything scheduled for this year. I don't have any shows coming up. You know, I don't have any hard deadlines for this whole year. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for contracts to trickle in. And because of that, I'm like, why don't I just start actively pursuing work where I want to work? You know, like what, what time you talked about waiting for the perfect time earlier. I don't think there is a perfect, the perfect time is now, you know, I don't, I don't have kids. Uh, I do have a mortgage here in Florida, but I have, I have a very flexible, willing partner and flexible, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We, We discussed this, you know, I was like, I think, I don't know how to say this. I think I want to go work in England. So I would like, I would like by the end of the year to have made some sort of inroads for that. It's going to take some training and it's going to take some, some contacts, but I obsessively like look people up and message them on Instagram. And if I don't get a response, that's fine. But that's, that's what I'm working on is getting some inroads to go work in the UK uh, for HBO or perhaps stars or one of the other big streaming networks. Okay. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I love speak it into existence though. You know, like, I think that's great. Yeah, this year is a big blank slate for me where I'm just trying to, you know, get that bag. So yeah, put the feelers out. <laughs> however, I need to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so yeah, great. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yes. And then I am making some personal costumes as well, uh, which are like uh, costumes where I'm trying to, to show my skills off a little bit, but in ways that I haven't been able to do professionally so far, which says a lot too. a lot of these shows and, and things I've done. I cannot overemphasize how my skill set is hardly utilized at all. I'm yeah. asked to do things that I don't know how to do, like your job. And then for the sewing and the stitching, I've done some of the worst work of my life that I'm not proud of. And that's really the reason I had to quit theater is because mm-hmm. I was not proud of the work I was doing and I wasn't getting paid enough to not be proud of the work I was doing. Right. Right. Absolutely. I totally get it. Uh, well, I think we've been talking for an hour and a half, so I think we'll have to cut it. There's going to be quite a bit of editing on my part, but and, um, if anybody wants to follow along, cause I know that you're doing a lot of TikToks right now and stuff like that. Can you tell the lovely listeners where they can follow you and kind of like follow your journey this year? Cause I think it's going to be quite the journey. Yes. Okay. So my um, Instagram is kind of like my home base, but I am new to TikTok and that's kind of taken off right now. My username is the same on both platforms. It's at so.sumalee. So that's S-E-W dot S-U-M-A-L-E-E. Yes. I just wrote my name out on a piece of paper to make sure that I was saying it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at so.sumalee is my username. And I would, I would love for people to come chit chat with me. I am a total nerd. I respond to, I I'm going to have to stop doing this at some point, but I respond to every comment that someone leaves me. Yeah. Um, is a talker for sure. And we, and I love it. I adore it. 
Thank you. I'm glad somebody does. Um, but yeah, if you're into costumes, especially House of the Dragon, you're going to want to follow me on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on here and uh, chatting about all of this. The I feel like the more that people chat about it and it's out in the world, the more people are going to be able to be successful at it. So we're paving the way, you know? <laughs> I love that. And yeah. I totally agree. Thank you so much for having me. This was very fun. And yeah. I, uh, I love what you're doing. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Yes, of course. Uh, thank you so much. Also schedule the next, uh, coffee costumer hangout. (gasps) Yes. We need to do it soon. All right. I'm going to agree for our health. Yeah. For our health (laughs) coffee, mimosas, whatever. (laughs) Um, thank you so much. I'll see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.